Can the pastor of a church be arrested for preaching against homosexuality? Is it intolerant and ignorant to be against gay marriage? Not a very comfortable topic, is it? Today, we'll examine homosexuality and the church. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Sukarin. This is a program that examines cultural and spiritual issues in the light of reason and evidence. And we have resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find articles, books, and past shows, including Dr. Zukarin's interviews with experts on a wide variety of topics. So go to evidenceandanswers.org and check it out. Pat? Yes, thanks, Kevin. Returning with us again is one of our favorite guests, Kirby Anderson, uh, my boss there at Probe Ministries, the National Director of Probe Ministries. And Kirby and I will be speaking along with Dr. Gary Habermas, maybe the best authority on the resurrection, at a conference in Hawaii, the Hawaii Apologetics Conference. This is the fourth annual Apologetics Conference, February 19th to 21st in Oahu, and the following weekend on the island of Maui. So we invite you Take a great vacation out there to Oahu or to Maui and attend this great conference. Well, Kirby, welcome back to the show. Always good to be here. One of the issues you're going to be talking about, and you often talk about, and you've got a book on it, homosexuality. And we're talking about homosexuality in the church, but we've recently learned that the city of Houston voted in their first openly gay mayor. And this is the largest city in the United States to nominate an openly gay mayor. So where's the culture going towards the acceptance of homosexuality and same-sex marriage? Where are we headed? Well, I think it just illustrates again that uh, what was oftentimes seen out of the mainstream has become mainstream. There's been a real conscious attempt on the part of those people who would be considered gay activists to try to go mainstream. As a matter of fact, uh, in the first part of my book, I talk about why all this attention? Why is it every time we turn around, we're hearing about homosexuality? We turn on a TV set and we have so many homosexual characters on programs and it seems like there's almost always a story every single day on homosexuality in the newspapers. And a lot of that was by design. There was a book that came out a number of years ago called After the Ball, and it was an attempt to really set forth the plan back in the late 80s although the book really came out in the 90s, but the first article that preceded that was in the late 80s, and it was really just setting forth kind of the agenda on how to make homosexuality mainstream. And as you look through what they wanted to do, it's been very successful, and now here is coming to the end of the first decade in the 21st century. You've not only had very gay-friendly administrations in many cities, you know, San Francisco, uh, near my hometown, certainly fits into that category, but you have the election of a mayor that is open openly homosexual. So there has been an attempt to try to mainstream homosexuality in the political process, to mainstream homosexuality in the business world, in the corporate world, through domestic partnerships, and to mainstream homosexuality in the entertainment world, through the media. And I think what you're seeing is the success of that strategy that was set forth almost 20 years ago. Now, Kirby, a lot of the resistance to homosexuality and gay marriage come from conservative churches. Have we reached a stalemate here, or has the war between Christianity and the gay community actually intensified over the years? Well, in some respects, you've got two things going on. And in my book, I spend some time talking about how the liberal churches, those that don't necessarily hold to the Word of God as being infallible, will in many ways want to be more trendy and will maybe either allow homosexuals in the pastorate or maybe even sanction same-sex consummation ceremonies or things of that nature. But I would still have to say that there is a little bit of a, a conflict that has 
is intensified in large part because the conservative churches, those that take seriously the Old and New Testament, the various passages, and say Genesis 19 and Leviticus 18 and 20 and Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, to mention just a few, say, well, these relate to the issue of homosexuality. These are really rooted in the fact that God created us as man and woman. God intended that marriage be between one man and one woman. So we're not going to compromise in our theology. And what I would say to those who find themselves in the midst of this conflict is there are really two issues that we really need to address. Number one, I believe that Christians should hold to their biblical convictions about homosexuality, but at the same time they should also extend their biblical compassion to those who are in the movement. What I see, Pat, so often is people fall out on one of those two extremes. You may have uh, some of the more fundamentalist churches that are real good on their biblical convictions, but they don't show any biblical compassion. But on the other hand, the liberal churches I mentioned just a minute ago, they may be on the biblical compassion side. We want to reach out, but we'll then compromise our biblical convictions. So I think it's important to still say what theology teaches us, what the Bible teaches us, but to do that in a way that is loving and compassionate. I recognize that some individuals that identify themselves as gay activists are going to be very strident, very angry, but I think that is their problem, not ours. We should be gracious, and even though we may disagree with the lifestyle, it comes back to one of those cliches, which I think is still very very true. That is, you hate the sin, but love the sinner. And that's a principle that I think we need to apply when we talk about some of these verses and when we talk about how we relate to homosexuality in our culture. Yeah, Kirby, you know, there was a great example of that last year, right during the Hawaii Apologetics Conference, the Hawaii State Legislation was trying to pass a bill on same-sex marriage, and the Christians and the conservatives in the community of Hawaii, thousands came and marched in the capital of Hawaii, which was a great thing. However, some of the signs that were put up there I was just embarrassed, almost ashamed, you know, to have those signs up in the midst of our group. And so that's exactly what you're talking about. Well, one of the founders of Probe Ministries, Jimmy Williams, used to say a phrase, it's a little bit crass, but I think it gets the point across, light attracts bugs. And the point he was making is, is that sometimes when we try to light a lamp in the midst of darkness, it also attracts some other people we don't want there. And I've uh, been sad about that, but I've noticed that as somebody who's been political active for 30 years, that uh, whether it is uh, uh, protesting the pornographic images, the media, but also teaching some of these kinds of things in the schools, whether it's going to the legislature or going to a city hall, sometimes what you find are two groups of individuals. The majority of individuals who are there just because they're decent people, they really care about an issue, and they are loving and gracious, but a small group that follow along, and they tend to be overly aggressive, not showing love, and I think that's just one of those dangerous issues that if anything, we should maybe even try to police some of those things so that when we are going to an event, and whether it's a tea party or whether it's a pro-life rally or whether it's a rally about homosexuality and same-sex marriage, if we see a sign or we hear some people saying some things, maybe there's a place for us to say, you know, we really don't need that here. We are here to stand for righteousness, and you don't fight unrighteousness by unrighteous statements and signs and pictures and things like that. If anything, we should do all all we can to be a testimony for truth and for love at the same time. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, there's been legislation passed in several states or being brought to the floor of many state legislatures on same-sex marriage. 
that will affect the churches? What are some that we should be aware of? A couple of things. First of all, we have to recognize that whenever the people have been allowed to vote in 31 different states in the United States, they have always rejected this idea of same-sex marriage. The five states that actually have same-sex marriage, in every case it was brought about by either an act of the judiciary, in most cases, in one case by the legislature, but it wasn't uh, something that the people, when given a chance to give an up or down vote, actually enacted. But that being said, when we talk about the issue of homosexuality, let me look at two issues. One would be hate crime legislation. And just recently at Probe, I did a very extensive executive briefing, which I'd be glad to provide to anybody if they want, on the issue of hate crime legislation. The second would be ENDA, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. Hate crime legislation has been around for some time. It was passed a number of years ago in Wisconsin in the state legislature. Then you've had a couple of other states that did it as well. And it was initially actually brought about, Pat, because of the concern about ethnic or religious discrimination, uh, primarily anti-Semitic kinds of actions. And it argued that uh, certain kinds of crimes are so heinous that we should have additional penalties for what would be considered a hate crime. Over time, though, the gay activists said, oh, this will be something we can add on to as well. So in addition to having hate crime bills that deal with religious or ethnic discrimination, they also added uh, discrimination for religious uh, orientation and then sexual orientation. And so as a result, what you have had are a number of states that passed this. More recently, the United States Congress passed it in, I think, a fairly deceptive way. It was actually added to a defense authorization bill, but nevertheless, it was passed both by the House and the Senate and signed by President Obama. What's the implication for the church? Many, because when you look at other countries which have had hate crime legislation, you can see that sometimes pastors that have preached on, say, Romans 1, pastors that have addressed the issue of homosexuality have found that this is applied to them. And also questions were raised that if indeed an individual went out and actually was engaged in a hate crime, would it be possible to prosecute a pastor if indeed that person served in the church? And that question was asked in the House of Representatives, and the answer is yes, that would uh, leave that pastor open for prosecution. Is that going to happen? Only time will tell. But in my book, I document what has happened not only in other countries, but we've had some of these hate crime laws here in the United States. Let's go back to Wisconsin as a good example. One of the stories that we've actually posted on our website at pointofview.net was a story at an interview with an individual who was a former homosexual, became a Christian. One day he was meeting with somebody uh, who he was just talking with at um, a car wash and began to share his faith about how Christ had saved him and everything. Well, he was later prosecuted for a hate crime. A very nice individual, and you can see he had no malice of anything. He was just sharing his testimony. Now, will that happen routinely? Don't know that it will, but it just illustrates again what could actually be something that could affect the church. The second one is going to have even more impact because it's the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, ENDA. And I think by the time this airs, we'll probably be talking about this issue because there's a real push for in the year 2010 to actually see if that could pass both the House and the Senate. And this would say that you would not be allowed to discriminate against an individual on the basis of their sexual orientation. Now, just as the hate crime law has a so-called religious exemption, ENDA would have one too, but it's virtually meaningless because it only applies to ecclesiastical 
institutions. So if you're a Christian bookstore and a homosexual wants to work at the Christian bookstore, you could not deny them from working there. If you had a Christian daycare center, you could not deny an individual from working there. And frankly, even in a church, they could argue that, well, all right, maybe you have a theological objection from them being in the pastorate, but you couldn't deny them from working as a janitor or as a bookkeeper or something like this. And so you can see very quickly these issues, which oftentimes are seen as sort of outside the church, ones that are not going to affect the church, have the potential to affect them. And in my book, A Biblical Point of View on Homosexuality, I kind of lead you through what are the possible implications of these pieces of legislation on the church in the 21st century. Curry, would that also mean that churches would have to perform gay marriages or at least open their churches up to gay weddings? This is a big question that is being decided right now. Would they have to perform gay marriages? That's a question that is sort of circulating around right now as to whether that would be the case. But we already know that if indeed the current laws go in the wrong direction, it would at least mean you'd have to open up your facilities. The case that a lot of people are looking at right now was a Christian camp in New Jersey, which was asked by a lesbian couple to have sort of a confirmation service there, and they said, well, no, this would go against our theology and denied them access to that facility, and that case is now making its way through the courts. And if it rules the wrong way, it would say, even if you have a theological objection to homosexuality and a same-sex marriage ceremony, you would not be allowed to prohibit that. Now, recognize this took place, by the way, in a state that does not have same-sex marriage. You can see what happens in many of the states like Massachusetts and others that do have legalized same-sex marriage. That's changed the curriculum and changed a lot of laws. But this is happening in a state that, at least at the moment, does not have same-sex marriage. So you can see the logical implications of that. Also, it brings us back to, would you be able to decline a ceremony because we have a case out of New Mexico where that particular hate crime law was used against Christian photographers who were asked by lesbians, in this case again, for a confirmation ceremony to take pictures in that, and they declined, and they were actually prosecuted under the hate crime law. It was similar to a hate crime law, but it had to do with the issue of religious and sexual discrimination. But still, you can see where this goes. Play this out over a generation, and you can see that these laws, if they're intact, and these rulings, if they go the wrong way, could be used against churches and pastors and Christian organizations. Now, I can also see how this would affect the preaching as well. Could a pastor be prosecuted for preaching you know, against homosexuality, say, preaching the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Romans chapter 1. And I think, Pat, what's going to happen here is more where people will just unilaterally disarm, if you will. Uh, the best example of that was in Sweden, which has these hate crime laws. A pastor by the name of Aki Green preached on Romans 1. You know where I'm going. Talks about homosexuality charges were brought against him because he preached on the issue of homosexuality in a way that was not seen as politically correct. Well, again, he finds himself, first of all, having to go through a court. Then he has to go through depositions. He goes through an appeal. He finally won at the the national Supreme Court, which would be the Swedish Supreme Court for the country. And a lot of people would say, well, he eventually won, yet what cost? Aki Green said, you know what, I am never going to preach again on the issue of sexuality. Because part of his conversation had to do with living together, part of it had to do with homosexuality, but he was not even going to preach on God's view of sexuality. And I think every other preacher and pastor in Sweden learned their lesson as well. If you want to stay out of the court system, if you don't want to have controversy, if you don't want 
one to find yourself having to defend yourself in court, the simplest thing to do is simply not to preach on those issues. So I think the uh, long-term impact might not be that there will be that many people that will be brought into court, but all it takes is one person to be brought into court, and a lot of pastors will say, I'm just going to stay out of that topic. And that's, I think, what really is probably going to happen in the 21st century. Yeah, Kirby, I kind of see that trend where pastors here in the U.S. are, are kind of avoiding the topic uh, for fear of the protests that may come or just what you mentioned. Is that kind of what you're seeing? I am, and uh, we recognize that there are a number of pastors that are here even in the continental United States. I can think of uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer at Moody Church in Chicago. I can think of the pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas where they've had protesters outside of their church. Uh, there were also protesters outside of uh, the former D. James Kennedy when he was alive at Coral Ridge. And so it doesn't take long before there are particular pastors pastors that individuals might in the gay movement target, where all the other pastors say, okay, this is just too controversial. I'm not going to get into that issue. And so in some respects, there may be some examples, court case examples of individuals that are actually prosecuted under these laws. But I think the majority of these are going to happen simply because pastors seeing the controversy are going to avoid the controversy. And because of that, they're not going to be really preaching the whole counsel of God. Yeah, you know, Kirby, because this show airs in several other different countries, you know, there's been a couple countries that have notified me that they're taking evidence and answers off of their radio station because of the previous shows we did with you on homosexuality. They just don't want to face the controversy or the trouble that's going to follow. Well, I'm not trying to be a troublemaker, but I think it illustrates, again, some of the kinds of issues that we have to deal with. And back to the United States, some people have said, is it possible that now that we have hate crime legislation that is passed at the national level, and that also we may even have something like ENDA, but even just looking at with uh, the legalization of same-sex marriage in certain states and hate crime legislation, is it possible that the FCC might reevaluate uh, teaching and preaching programs on the basis of whether or not they address the issue of homosexuality? And uh, is it possible even the IRS would evaluate the tax-exempt status of Christian organizations or churches on that? All very speculative, but again, the legal counsel for the National Religious Broadcasters, Craig Parshall, has pointed out that those are at least possibilities and some things to pay attention to in the future. And so, Kirby, one of the things that you're teaching us here is that the church cannot withdraw itself from the society. The church has got to be engaged in what's going on in the culture and addressing the issues of the day. Well, and if we are not addressing the issues, then all we become is a social club. And I think it goes back to the famous Martin Luther quote, if we withdraw from that very area which the world and the devil are attacking, then are we really being the church? So, I mean, I think it brings us back to the fact that we need to address these issues. Homosexuality is just one of many issues I address, one of many issues you've addressed here on Evidence and Answers. But if we begin to say, well, I'm only going to preach on certain passages in the Bible, those which are popular in the culture, then I think we are, as I I said before, violating this principle of teaching the whole counsel of God. And I think it's important for us, if we're going to develop a consistent and comprehensive Christian worldview, we have to address all of those issues. And this on the issue of sexuality is one of the most important issues. Right. Now, one of the things you mentioned in your book, it's called A Biblical Point of View on Homosexuality, a great compact book, but loaded with a lot of great facts and information here. But one of the things you say is you just can't treat all homosexuals the same. 
there's different types of homosexuals you talk about. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that we are going to probably be really not doing ourselves a favor if we take the typical stereotype. The stereotype that we get from kind of the fundamentalist world is is that all homosexuals are activist types. And there are some of those individuals. And I would have to say that they still are a minority, but they tend to be in leadership positions in some of the gay organizations that I've mentioned. And they are really trying to enact legislative agendas, uh, various kinds of judicial rulings and the rest. And those are going to be individuals that you may occasionally run into. I tend to run into them more because I'm in the political realm. But uh, there are other kinds of homosexuals that you're going to run into that fit in one of two other categories. Those who are maybe homosexual and maybe have a little bit of unease about their feeling but don't know anything else, and those are probably very likely people that you would run into. And then a smaller group of individuals who actually have some of these feelings but uh, would like to change but don't know if they can. And those are the individuals we tend to run into oftentimes because they actually come into organizations that help people out of the homosexual lifestyle, the so-called exodus groups that are associated with Exodus International and Living Hope is one in the Dallas area, but there are ones all over the United States and all over the world that are dedicated to helping people who actually have a desire to leave the homosexual lifestyle, because I believe that there are very good reasons why individuals have some of these feelings. Some of them are psychological, some of them are spiritual, and we can get into that if you want, but my book goes into it in some detail. But we have to understand that sometimes you're going to run into people who will be very angry and really react to anything you might say, but most Most of the people you're running into in the homosexual movement are homosexuals, and they're just sort of living their own lives. They're not necessarily a part of an agenda to change the culture. They just find themselves in that particular situation and are acting upon their feelings. So uh, as I talk about in the book, there are different things that you might say. And what do you say when somebody says that I'm a homosexual? What can pastors do? Again, I would certainly want individuals to uh, get a copy of my book, A Biblical Point of View on Homosexuality, because I give you really good advice. If you have a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker who is a homosexual or has acted on these uh, various feelings that they have, and I say that as an individual that had an uncle who was a very prominent homosexual as I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, later he moved to Arizona, and my wife who dated a boy all through high school who later died of AIDS. So when I come to this, it's not uh, without a tremendous amount of feeling and even personal experience with understanding some of the pain, the hurt, and the, uh, the confusion sometimes in the homosexual movement, and also a recognition that we as Christians should reach out both with our biblical compassion as well as our biblical convictions about this issue. Yeah, Kirby, you know, as we end the show, give us a few more tips there. How can we skillfully enter into the debate, and how can churches be equipped to reach out to homosexuals? You know, I know myself, I have alienated or offended homosexuals. They didn't tell me they were gay, you know, but we were in the karate class together or playing basketball together, and I just didn't know. And I didn't, I wasn't saying anything offensive, or at least I thought, but I had offended them and alienated them without even knowing it. You know, how can we uh, develop skills to enter into this debate with 
knowledge, but also compassion that you're talking about. We have a lot of those things also on our website, uh, probe.org, in our PowerPoint presentation, but uh, Sue Boland talks about this as well. You know, we need to balance our convictions with compassion. We talked about that. Really cultivate a humble heart. There are times when we as Christians come off uh, looking like we have everything together. We we sometimes look arrogant. Uh, Maybe we uh, make jokes that aren't really affirming of individuals. We certainly need to do that. Sometimes just being willing to listen, even when an individual is angry, that anger may look like it's manifested towards us, but it's manifested towards individuals that may have abused them, maybe just against the church as a general rule. Maybe they're angry towards God, but you are kind of the person in the midst of that. To seek to be understood, to be a good listener, to be willing to reach out to an individual with compassion and to show that and to do that in a humble way, I think is a great opportunity for us to begin to build bridges. And uh, so also the uh, the art of asking questions. We talk about this at Point of View. When did you first uh, have these feelings? Was there a reason for that? And oftentimes as they begin to express that, they realize, you know, I'm really reacting against a father. I'm reacting against an abuser. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for gender identity, whatever it might be. Those really then allow them to come to some conclusions as to why they have those feelings. And that also then provides you with an opportunity to talk about how there is healing through the person of Jesus Christ. Homosexual movement right now is dominated by a lot of cliches. You know, I was born gay, or another cliche is once gay, always gay. I can't change. Sometimes you may be the first person that is willing to reach out to them in love, but also share that there are answers and solutions and hope for them in the midst of their circumstances. Thank you very much, Kirby. Thanks for being with us. And Kirby's book, and I highly recommend that you get it, is a, a biblical point of view on homosexuality. And Kirby, for those of you in Hawaii, we know this show airs in Hawaii, my home state. Kirby will be speaking on this topic at the Hawaii Apologetics Conference, February 19th through 21st, and also at a special pastor's breakfast as well, and also on the island of Maui. So Kirby will be at Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor. He'll be at One Love Fellowship. He'll also be at Calvary Chapel, Central Maui, Calvary Chapel, South Maui. We've just confirmed that he'll be making a few TV and radio appearances as well. So come out and hear him in Hawaii. Go on the website. We recommend you get his book. And also, there are previous interviews we've done with Kirby where he answers a lot of the questions here. Is homosexuality genetic? Can they change? How does gay marriage affect marriage of the culture and how does it affect society? And so a host of numerous issues he and other experts on this issue answer. I highly recommend that you go to evidenceandanswers.org and listen to those interviews. Kirby, thanks for being our guest. We look forward to hearing you in Hawaii. Thank you. Well, thank you for being with us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zugarin. We hope you got some good information. And we have more at evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available free and for purchase. And by the way, when you purchase our resources at evidenceandanswers.org, you keep this show on this station and help us to expand. And you may also want to partner with us. Just click the donate button on our front page. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on Evidence.